We turn with me this morning uh, in your word to Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the back of the order of worship. As we saw last week, we see that God has given, has designed uh, different spheres in which we are called to be under an authority and in doing so are submitting ourselves in actuality to God, the Creator, the One who saves, the One who watches over His people. As verse 21 says from chapter 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're all a people under authority in marriage, in the home, and in the workplace. These are good gifts to us. And so in this passage this morning, as in all of the end of Ephesians, it's really an expression of the, the kind of love that God has had for His people. He's expressed His authority even in our salvation that all of uh, chapters 1 through 3 are really showing how God has expressed and shown His love to a people who Ephesians 2 calls us enemies. That God has done everything necessary for our salvation. How then are we to live? What Paul's doing here is answering that question of what it looks like to live in this world. Let's go to him in prayer before we turn to his word. Our gracious God, what you set before us is your design It's your heart towards your people. It shows us the kind of God you are, that you would be so loving, Lord, and giving us uh, uh, parents, those who watch over us and instruct us, Lord, as you do the perfect and righteous and holy example. Lord, help us to see that this morning. I pray that you'd help us as all of us being children of God, and especially the children this morning, that they would listen, Father, to this Word because it is good for our souls. Lord, go before me in declaring this passage before Your people that it would be Your words, not my own. That it would carry Your authority, Father. We ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, Your Son, our Savior. Amen. Listen to God's Word. We're just going to read the first four verses of chapter 6. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is God's word for his people. Amen? This morning, we'll consider three points as we think on what it means, I've titled this, to be a child of God, children of God, under His authority and the authority that He places in our lives for our good. So three points. One, children of God are called to obey and honor. Two, a spiritual aim to an ultimate end. And three, a heavenly example. So first, this morning, children of God are called to obey and honor. Really, uh, these four verses are profoundly simple. What Paul tells us, what God instructs is profoundly 
simple, yet there's so much to say about it, about obedience and honor and what it means to provoke our children. Last week, Paul honed in on the first sphere that he wanted to focus on, which was the home. And before we arrive at the child's role in the home, we see first how parents are to act towards each other. And we we saw that what's being portrayed is a clear picture of Christ and His church or His bride. Both then the husband and the wife portray for us really the beauty of Christ Jesus. We get a vision of Christ. Just as the first three chapters gave us the vision of Christ's actions to secure our salvation, now we see the spheres of authority that He places us under and gives us insight to the very things of God. Children, understand this. And by children, I'm, we're all children, so there's going to be a little bit of fluctuating between what, what child is He talking to? Little children, listen. What's being portrayed here is God's love for you. That He instructs you, and, and would you ever question that God doesn't love you or that he, he, He's trying to be mean or wicked to you? No, he, he loves you perfectly and completely. And that's what He's calling you to understand as we open up this passage. He's speaking. Paul's talking directly to you. But parents, individuals, Single people, older children. The word here is for you this morning as well. Paul quotes uh, the fifth commandment. And if you open up the, the, the larger catechism of all the commandments, you know the other commandments get about three uh, questions underneath each. Uh, we get 11 under the fifth commandment as it unpacks what it means. Its significance to us. The implications are for all people. It says this in Westminster Confession of Faith. uh, 124 it says, Who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? The answer is, by father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only the natural parents, so we're talking to you guys today, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such by God's ordinance, are over us in a place of authority, whether it's the family, the church, or the commonwealth. This passage, therefore, is for all of us, and we can be thankful for the simplicity of it. Verse 1 through 2. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It should be enough for us that God has said, do it. But that's always the battle, isn't it, uh, little ones, as you have your parents telling you something to do. God tells you that your role, He's instructed you specifically, is to obey the ones that He has put over you for your care. Practically speaking, obedience is good for you. As an example, our family went to Yellowstone. Um, and, uh, you know, nothing says to a child like big open spaces, I want to run. And when you come into the gate of Yellowstone, they hand you a pamphlet and it specifically says, 
Do not let your children run. A couple reasons. One, the water's pretty colorful. Don't touch it. It's boiling. Good instruction. We bought a sticker. I don't remember if it was at that particular place. Don't pet the fluffy cows. Bison are not safe. Don't run ahead of your parents on the trail. In fact, it was Jen that kind of uh, scared us. Two weeks before we went, she sent us an article that said a child ran out in front of their parents and a bear attacked the child. child was fine. Okay. Uh, okay. The child was okay. <laughs> Survived. <laughs> it showed the seriousness, though. The reason you give instruction there well, the reason, children, you were to obey your parents even though it felt overly restrictive, wide open spaces, you're not going to let me run, the reason is because is it's good for you to obey because it literally might preserve your life. That was on my mind when we arrived, and I had to wrestle in my own heart. Am I, uh, my, my affection for my children and wanting to do what I know would be fun for them and being restrictive? Could I lighten the rules? But what is the most loving thing to do as a parent but to tell them to obey me so that it might go well with them literally while we are in the land? The tension of love and the command of obedience are not opposites but are parallel how does god love us he gives us commands for obedience not for mere authority sake alone but because he loves us and he knows what is best for us would it be uh, loving for god in this world as we live i'm talking to everybody if you said just go on like you're going it's not a big deal do what you want to do all the while knowing that, that left to our own, where do we end up? But under God's wrath. And He wouldn't tell us about it. No, the most loving thing is to give us commands and to tell us to obey Him. To tell us the very thing that saves our lives. This is what Paul says here. Obey because it's right. Simply, obedience is what God has commanded and we should never question Him on whether or not He has a, a good reason for it. He is always loving towards His children. So when He asks us to obey Him, it's because He knows what is best for us. And we trust Him because of His love. Children, do your parents love you? It's okay. You don't have to be a frozen chosen here. You can say yes or you can shake your head. Do your parents love you? Listen. One way you express that love back to your parents. One way you show them, Mom, Dad, I love you, is obedience. We used to sing a song in our house. I'm debating whether I'm going to sing it or not because I'm the worst. <laughs> Slow obedience is no obedience. Our kids hated that song. <laughs> not because of my voice. There's more to it. Ruth can sing the whole thing. That was my particular favorite part. <laughs> Slow obedience is no obedience. Do what you're asked 
right away, not under protest, not hold on, let me finish what I want to do. That's no obedience. Slow obedience is no obedience. You would not tell God if He spoke verbally to you. You're in the room and He says, He gives you a command. You wouldn't say, hold on a minute, God. We do what we're asked right away. It's the same with parents. Now everyone else, it's the same with you. We are children of God, and when our Father in heaven instructs us, we do it right away, for this is right, as Paul says. Now, of course, obedience has its limitations. We obey only when our higher obedience to God isn't compromised. We aren't to obey if it causes us to sin. Children, this goes for you as well. Your obedience is still to God in heaven, and He's given you parents who they themselves are sinners, by the way. I'm sure you've seen it. We obey and we disobey if it causes us to sin. But how far reaching? How far reaching does Paul's instruction of obedience go? The Greek word for obedience brings nuance to our situation within the household, it's unqualified. When we live under the direct care of our parents, we are called to obey in all things that aren't sin. But as we grow up, as we become adult children, obedience to parents begins to change. The same Greek word also means to listen to attentively or to hear. As the child grows up and is sent out into the world or college or career or marriage, the relationship has gone under a fundamental change in character. They are no longer under your roof. You are no longer by their side as you once were, like I was with them at Yellowstone. We don't have that same care. We'll go into this more in verse 3. A child, a grown child, is now called to put into practice all the things that you have been teaching them in the house and training them towards. In fact, that's what Proverbs 22 means when it says, train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The obedience we demand of our child was as unto the Lord. That's the goal. And the goal is that we would see them live in the world in this way. The end goal of parenting was to not always keep them under your strict control, but to shape godly, Christ-loving individuals who would think and live and serve Him with all of their beings, their whole lives. And this is a hard... Listen, this is a hard... I'm, my, my daughter's getting ready to turn 15. I'm already starting to think about... Three years? That's all I have left with her in the home? Three years? I'm beginning to start thinking about what things are going to change. It's hard for parents. But I think it's hard for children as well. Adulting, they call it. I call it owning their faith. That they would see the obedience that they were called to give in the home to their parents, is the same obedience ultimately that was to be unto Christ Jesus. We learn the best 
in the home. When we heed God's command here, and we hear the calling of obedience, as a child grows, so does, um, does our way of calling them to this obedience. We train them with advice with, uh, to those who are, are learning to reason. We, we give our counsel. We want them to become independent so that they may start uh, their own family. I'll use my father as an illustration, for, for instance. It, it's still, for me, I, I'm blown away by the wisdom of what he said. When it was time for me to go off to college, he could have said many things. You know, go to bed by 10 o'clock or something ridiculous like that in college, right? He gave me one instruction. He said, Nathan, promise me that you will attend worship every Sunday. That's the only thing he asked of me. Do you see what he was doing? When I look back on that now as a father, he was saying, son, go and sit under the Word. Be with other Christians. Hear about Christ Jesus. Understand His call on your life. And he understood that if I was doing that, that was the best parenting I could possibly have when I'm out on my own, was to look to Christ and to be committed to go to Christ. This was a father who knew things were changing with his son. And that was... Uh, for me, I will never forget it. We want to see our children equipped to living in this world as Christ followers. And this brings to light, uh, this, or brings us right up to what verse 2 is saying. Honor your father and your mother. Obedience may become more nuanced as a child grows, but as we come to the actual moral commandment that Paul writes here, the fifth commandment, it says, honor your father and your mother. This never changes as God's moral commandments never change. We are always to hold our parents in the highest regard. Seek their advice and counsel. Cherish their wisdom. Cherish the ways they've shown you as you've grown up that they are there for you. And, and I say this understanding that some parents weren't there for you. I'm talking about the ideal here of what God has set before us. We're always to hold them in the highest regard to seek their advice and their counsel. And even beyond this, we are to look for ways. Listen, children, little ones, look for ways to honor your parents. It's not easy. <laughs> Selfless. Staying up late if you're sick to sit beside you, making you food. All of these things. Look for ways to honor your parents. The catechism, again, addresses this and tells us what it looks like to honor our parents. And again, it's not just for little children. It says, give them, your parents, all reverence in heart, word, behavior, prayer, and thanksgiving, imitation, defense of them, maintenance of their persons, and covering them in love. It never forgets. The child is never called to forget the authority that they had over us and cherish them as a gift from God. And that's not true just for Christian parents. That's also for those who have not known Christ. Our parents are the fount of wisdom uh, for us. 
And we as adults need to listen to them attentively to honor their insight and help. Now, children, obey your parents. Obey your parents because God calls you to. And in this, you honor them by ultimately you are obeying not just your parents, but you are obeying and honoring your Father in heaven who has not withheld any good thing from you. In Him we have found forgiveness of our sins, the riches of His grace that He lavishes upon His children, as Paul tells us in the beginning of Ephesians. This leads us to our second point. A spiritual aim to an ultimate end. Paul tells us at the end of verse 2 that the commandment comes with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Simply said, following God's design for our care under authority is meant to bless us not only in this life, but for the life that is to come. Sometimes our parents' commands, children, I'm speaking from your viewpoint, They seem hard. Sometimes those commands are literally to save our lives. I've told you guys before, so I'll sum it up. My father told me not to go out with a buddy that just turned 16. I disobeyed him. He gave me reasons even why I shouldn't go out with him. That night ended in a terrible car wreck in which the Lord graciously preserved my life and his life. Literally. Having obeyed and honored my father, It would have gone well with me in the land to have not disobeyed. Sometimes their commands are to teach us general principles of obedience, like clean your room. To teach us order. What it looks like to have order in your life for the rest of your life. Or 30 minutes of video game, this one gets the biggest groan from one of my children. It's good for you to not sit there and stare at a screen for longer than that time. Or wash your hands. These simple instructions. I want to resist it. No, it's good for your health. And sometimes, the aim, and most importantly, our aim as parents, as people in this world, not just parents, as individuals, is the spiritual things. And when God made these promises... When he set this before us, he sets it first before Israel in the wilderness. The ultimate goal was not that they would have a safe time in the land and that there wouldn't be any problems and they would all grow to a nice old age and enjoy their flock of sheep or whatever they're growing. But he was thinking more of an eternal land, a never-ending land, the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth in which he was ultimately bringing his people to. And this is how he showed them. By being in authority over them, by disciplining them, and by calling them to obedience that they would live not only well here, but be prepared for the ultimate spiritual destiny of their souls. You see, the spiritual aim of raising children in the home is to prepare them for their eternal salvation and eternal home. Go well with you in the land doesn't merely mean, okay, I'm not, uh, not getting a spanking or sent to your room. You know, those tangible feelings of how it's not definitely not going well with me in the land right now. But directly correlates to a spiritual application. God's discipline of his children directs 
our physical beings in this world with a greater aim to our spiritual condition. He's making all things new. You see, He doesn't demand obedience for the sake of obedience alone. He has a reason for obedience that is far more expansive. We do well as parents to understand this. Obey me, yes. Right? We want to demand that. Just do it because I asked. <laughs> but he's calling, we should be um, calling them to obedience ultimately because God is calling us to obedience. This should be our aim when we consider our own obedience. You know, God promised to Adam, obey me and live, disobey me and die, he said to Adam. And this principle hasn't changed from the garden until now, but it has been made definitely, infinitely more complicated by our sinful, naturally rebellious hearts. Obedience now is not perfection, but it is looking to perfection. And this perfection is found in the obedience of Jesus Christ. We look in obedience to Him when we repent and turn from our sins. What does it look like to be under authority? This is what it looks like. We live well in this land now when we have an ever-growing sense that He, Christ, is the way and the truth and the life so that any time that He disciplines us now as children of God, He does so with explanation. Behold, I am making all things new. And that includes your sinful and rebellious hearts. He is now preparing us for that eternal land and life. And the promise for little children and all of God's children is what J.V. Fesco says. As Israel was called in this command by God to submit to the Father. So our children should submit to their parents, God's representatives on earth. Thus, we naturally see how this points to the person and the work of Christ. He was the ultimate representative of God on earth. And this takes us back to how all those spheres of authority that Paul's teaching us about here remind us of verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. This is the spiritual aim of the command. Obey your parents and honor them because it honors Christ who is our salvation. Parents, it is your God-ordained authority that guides your children to this reality. You are to show them Christ. To show them Christ always. To give them all the care and nurturing that leads them to Him. The ultimate end is not your, your house, your rules, but His house, His Lordship, His commands. Parenting is not so much about you as it is about Him. Parents, show the glory of Christ in your own life as you instruct your children and show the glory of Christ in your life as you, yourselves, and individuals, as you obey and honor Him. Practically, what does that look like? I remember well my father's discipline. I keep bringing him up. He'd take me into the room. He'd tell me, you're getting three spankings. Here's why. 
I always sat down and uh, I'd, I'd get two more, so I always got five. <laughs> but sometimes he would tell me with tears in his eyes that he didn't want to punish me, that he knew this was going to hurt. You know, we sort of say that to our kids, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Sometimes it really does. After the punishment, he would sit me down and he would pray with me. And he always, he always directed me immediately after the discipline to the Lord. And he would, he would talk about how this reflects my relationship with, with God. He understood what his role was in directing, what his aim was, what the spiritual aim of whatever this was that was unfolding, what the point was. He showed me that it's not going well with you in the land. It gives me concern for how is it going with you in that spiritual place, the place where you ultimately will end up. Don't punish your child in a way that confuses them. Don't punish your child because of your own sense of authority, all the while divorced from God's purposes. Don't defend your honor as primary. Honor God in directing them to Him. How many of us have disciplined because we were offended or we felt sinned against and it came out in our own wrath and our own concern? without even mentioning that it was God they disobeyed and God they must give account to. This must always be our aim in parenting. And Satan, so just like we talked about last week, wants nothing more than to see this aim destroyed in overbearing, ungodly parents who have made this command about themselves alone. He wants nothing more than for a child to hate his parents' authority and to rebel at their commands. Because he wants, you see, what Satan wants is the whole image wrecked. The whole image of God's children living under God's command, serving Him in love and obedience and honor. He wants you to be prodigal sons that flees the Father's presence and has no desire to return. And yet, in that story, isn't it beautiful that there is a father who receives back those who have been disobedient? What promises does God hold out to those who obey Him? It's eternal salvation and a heavenly home. Let this always be our spiritual aim. Let their end always be on our mind. Children of God are called to obey and honor, and we are to have a spiritual aim with an ultimate end so that let us finally see our last point, a godly example. Jesus called us to Himself and His authority with these words. All things have been handed over to Me, He says. That's authority. And look how he exercises that authority. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see what he's doing? As he calls us to his authority. It's not overbearing. 
it makes complete sense. It's gentle and lowly. So I want that image to burn into your minds as we come to Paul in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Ask this question, do we make it hard for our children to obey and honor us? You see, there's a, there's a corresponding relationship between parents and their children. Children have a duty to their parents and parents under their children, but one uniquely has the power to misuse this in a significant way that can cause damage. It was said elsewhere, an exasperated child is one who has a right to be when provoked because of the incongruities between a parent's stated beliefs and the parent's actual behavior. This is why the statement, do as I say, not as I do, is so completely missing the target. Fathers and mothers, don't stir your children up to sin. You see, Jesus provokes our love towards Him as one who is gentle and lowly in heart, a place We, as children of God, can go for peace and rest. Coming under His yoke isn't burdensome. It's light. How do we provoke our children to anger? I think one way is when we parent in a way that doesn't make sense. When it doesn't have any real aim or purpose. Matthew Henry described this as a horse rider who makes the bit in the, in the mouth of the horse uh, hard. He pulls hard against it with, with vigor and with uh, severity to raise their passions all the while seeking to show them, I'm your master. We provoke our children when we have a fit of anger to match their fit of anger. It teaches them nothing. We provoke our children when we discourage them. Colossians 3 says, do not provoke them lest they become discouraged. Parenting should be affirming. If the only thing that you do with your child is point out all of their faults, all the ways that they have failed, you're discouraging them. Parenting should have affirmation. Rather, let us find ways to draw out those things in our children that are praiseworthy. When they act righteously, acknowledge it. If they have some improvement, reward them. As they grow older and they make independent decisions, to, uh, they, they show that they have grown to, to know Christ and His commands and they act in, in biblical wisdom. This should be all the more encouraging to parents who have trained them up in the way that they should go. Encourage one another, that is. Parents, if your children are in college, if they're, if they're out of the house right now, they're making godly decisions. Praise them for it. We provoke our children. I'm almost done. When we sin and do not repent. When we call them to repentance all the time through discipline. But you sin in front of them and never say a thing about it. It provokes them. You know, what what, what goes for me doesn't go for him, I guess. We provoke our children when we have a joyless home, when the home is devoid of the Christian experience of joy as we grow together in Christ. We should give 
these little image bearers the dignity that they deserve as children of God. All this comes to a head in the heavenly example that all believers are given, verse 4. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. He is gentle, steadfast, faithful, always loving towards us without ever diminishing. And He disciplines us perfectly and instructs us to know Him better. I pray that we do not provoke our children away from this heavenly example of how God deals with His people. I imagine that probably needs. Um, I've been doing it all week. Soul searching. I imagine either you think of your parents who failed you in this way or you yourself are failing as a parent or you who sits here um, out on your own in the world. Have your soul laid bare before God. In all of this, we are called to be children of God, giving obedience and honor where it is due. Have a spiritual aim for an ultimate end with a heavenly example that is found in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.